Hello, everyone, and welcome to the divisional round of the 2023 NFL season. Now that we're in 2024, that makes sense. Anyway, uh, Doug Ferrar here from USA Today Sports Media Group and Touchdown Wire. And the guy over there is Greg Cosell, uh, the well-lit Greg Cosell of uh, NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And Greg, it's the divisional round. we got a lot of notes, so let's just get rolling here. Um, uh, jump into it, Doug. Jump yeah. into it. Before we get started, we, we do a – a Tuesday phone call to kind of get the the scene set for our Wednesday video. And you always bring up interesting things and you mentioned, and I wanted to just get into this quickly before we get into the games, how teams scheme things up differently in the playoffs, because now everyone's in the building and it's far more opponent specific than it might be in the season. If you could just expand on that and kind of tell our viewers slash listeners how NFL teams might be doing things differently now that they're preparing for playoff games. Well, Obviously, you can't reinvent the wheel in a week, you know. So what you've been doing since you started OTAs, that's still the foundation of everything you do. But you now have more people involved in in preparation and game planning because what a lot of teams do, I would say most teams, they bring in their scouts. They're in the building. They're going through specific things. There's more specialized game planning. There's more specialized research uh, depending on what the, the staff thinks is necessary for that particular opponent. Um, you know, you never want to leave any stone unturned. You never know what down or distance or or play call or approach is going to be the one that, that has a major effect on the game. So, you, you know, you never want to be, I don't want to use the word surprised because surprised is not quite the word because um, I've had conversations with quarterbacks who've played in the league for 15 years, and I say to them, were you ever surprised by what a defense showed you? And pretty much the answer I got was no, it wasn't surprised. Yeah. So it's not a matter of, wow, they're doing something that is just we never saw before. It's just it's just getting to things a little bit differently. Um, it's, you know, it's just, it's more nuance. It's more detail. It's more subtlety than it is where we're changing everything we do because you can't do that. You know, you may dis- decide based on the opponent that, hey, you know what? We want to play a higher percentage of zone coverage this week than man coverage, even though we're a man team. We may decide, hey, you know what? We've got to specifically match up to the tight end this week. And you know what? We're going to do it with X player on our defense because that that just we need to do that this week. You know, those kinds of things. Um, but that's what teams do, because right now, look, every team wants to win every week in the league. But there's no question that the everything is heightened in the playoffs because it's one and done. Yeah, I would say that if your quarterback answers that question with, yes, I am surprised a lot, you probably aren't in the playoffs anyway. Uh, and you probably didn't play quarterback for 15 years in the NFL. No. <laughs> well, and there's also like uh, the Dolphins. I mean, they they were down like all their edge rushers to sign guys off the street. So Fangio went with a bunch more zero blitzes than anyone expected. And, oh, Vic Fangio's an idiot. You can't blitz Mahomes. Well, what the hell else are you supposed to do? Just sit there and wait for Mahomes to complete passes. Yeah, and 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 you know he, he probably didn't have a feel for his players uh, and and what they could do. I mean, obviously some of these guys have been in the league, but they haven't been with him. Right. So um, you know he took a, an approach that uh, you know I don't want to say it's an easy approach, but obviously if you're going to blitz like that, there's still gaps and lanes and all that. You're not just saying to six or seven guys just go randomly, yeah. but. You know, he felt that that was the best approach. See, that's the thing that always I find intriguing. Then we'll get to the games. Um, The thing I find intriguing is, you know, coaches 
they do this all the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. They sit around and this, this is what I love about it. The process. I wish I could be in the room, you know, and they spend so much time trying to figure this out. Does it always work? Of course not. It doesn't always work, but that doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing or they're stupid. I mean, this is what these guys do. You know, sometimes you, you go with the plan that you think will be the best plan uh, for your opponent. And also what we don't know, we can glean it at times, but what we don't know is what they know about their own players. Right. So, you know, it's easy for, for an outsider to say, oh, well, they should have done this or why aren't they doing? This? Well, they may know that a player or players can't do certain things, so they can't do those things, even if they seem right. like obvious things to do. You know, you see that a lot with quarterbacks. You know, people always wonder, well, why aren't they doing that? Well, they're with that quarterback every single day. They know him inside and out, mentally and physically. And more than likely, they're asking him to do what he's capable of doing well, and they're not asking him to do what they know that he can't do particularly well. Right. And it can be as simple as, and this is a hypothetical, but let's say you replace Jalen Phillips, who's injured with Justin Houston, which the Dolphins kind of did. Uh, and maybe Houston's best move is an inside counter. Maybe Phillips' best move is an outside sort of dip and rip and release, that kind of motorcycle lean. Let's just say you have two different kinds of right. And it could be, you know, this guy's better inside, this guy. Well, that changes the entire way your line reacts. Of it, course. That, that, that changes the way you line up with your front. Yes. Christian yes. Williams in it, with a guy with a better inside counter, he may do more TT stunts because you have the inside covered. So you, now I can go this way. It could be one little domino and the whole thing just changes. The whole thing gets changed. Yeah. Exactly. So, yep. so there's so much you know, to that. And obviously that stuff's hard to talk about because, you know, that's, that's clinic type stuff. Right. And we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. We don't know, we don't know. What know. thinks about Justin Houston versus Jalen Phillips, but as the Dolphins, sad for the Dolphins are out of the playoffs, let's get into the teams that are still around. Uh, survivor pool of eight. And we'll start with the Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to talk about regular season rematches in two of these games, but here the week one rematch doesn't mean a lot. That was CJ no. Stroud's first NFL game, Bobby Slowick's first game as his OC. Stroud completed 28 of 44 passes for 242 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, pass rating of 78.0. Stroud kept everything underneath. He attempted two passes of 20 or more air yards, completing neither or neither. Whichever. <laughs> Either. Uh, since week two, as I'm sure you know, Greg, Stroud has completed 35 of 59 deep passes for a league high of 1,213 yards, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, and a league high pass rating of 143.2. So this is a different and exponentially better Stroud. The Ravens are obviously aware of that. All their defenders have been asked the same, what C.J. Stroud do you see now? And they all say the same thing. He's better, but we still need to beat him. But that's, you know, that's just where it is. So week one, Ravens-Texans, I don't really glean a lot from that. No, I don't. I agree with that. And I think this is a fascinating matchup on that side of the ball because, you know, I think what Mike McDonald has done with that defense is really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a, a, a lot of, of really important players. Like I would argue that the three most important players on that Ravens defense are the two linebackers, Queen and Smith, and the safety, Hamilton. Yes, uh, sir. And, and Hamilton essentially is their slot corner a good percentage of the time. Now, every once in a while, they'll go to a more conventional nickel and play Millette at, at, at slot corner and keep Hamilton at safety. But, but Hamilton, for the most part, has been their slot corner over the last part of the season. Um, 
They've gotten really good play up front from specific individuals. You and I have talked about Matabuke. We don't need to go over that again. Um, just know that he can line My weekly Justin Matabuke uh, fan club. So. Yeah, just, you know, he lines up predominantly inside, but there are times they line him up as a wide nine, and he's shown the ability to do that. Clowney's had the best year of his career as a pass rusher. Yes. Van Noy is still a factor in multiple ways. Just a really good football player who can do a lot of things for you. Um, he'll use him like Belichick used him as, you know, in the to, five some games, degree, to some where, degree, not all the time, but he'll be like a, he'll be lined up in a three tech alignment. And, but he like, also rushes the quarterback and he's right. done that pretty well this year from an edge position. Yep. Um, and you know, those two linebackers, as I said, and Hamilton are critical pieces and, and, they're not a high percentage blitz defense. People who think that, oh, it's the same as Wink Martindale, it's yeah. not. They're not a high percentage blitz defense. They're selective blitz defense, and when they do it, they're very, very good at it. So this is a challenge. You know, the one one of the things that the, the uh, Texans do have going for them is their left tackle, Tunsil, is one of the two or three best in one-on-one pass protection, so they don't necessarily need to worry about helping him. You know, Let's keeping- talk about what he did against Miles Garrett. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's a really good player. So, um, so that that really helps them because obviously the last thing that that offensive coaches want to do, and certainly Bobby Slowick, who comes from the background of let's get five out, um, is is have to keep people in either as primary press. Pr- pass protectors, or even as chippers. They, he doesn't really want to do that. No. You know, and Tunsil obviously is a guy that you don't have to worry about that. So uh, so this is a really intriguing matchup on this side. Collins has really come on as as a really strong boundary X. He's tall. He's, he's, he's a strider. He's athletic. He eats up ground. Um, he's, he's shown very good run after catch. He can run away from man coverage. Um you know, one of the things they've done well, and Collins has been a big part of that, is they've handled cover one well because they run a lot of crossers. And he can run away from, from coverage and crossers as the underneath, you know, you see a lot of post-cross type combinations. He runs the crossers and he runs away from coverage. So, you know, that's an advantage crossers for them. Crossers and quick and intermediate outs. Those outs to Collins yeah. are just devastating all year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a good matchup on that side of the ball. Yeah, the Ravens do not have a specific coverage type, unlike the Browns, who are heavy, you know, cover. Right. Uh, the Ravens this season, they run single high coverage on 46.4% of their snaps, two high, 53.3. It's been cover three, cover four, cover one, cover six in that order. Um, and it doesn't really change a lot on third down. Like they don't, oh, God, it's no. now we have to do X, Y, Z. You don't know what you're going to get from snap to snap. They do all of it well, and they're very adept with coverage switches. So it is multiplicity from front to back, and they can pretty much do anything they want. No, it's a tough defense to play against. And, of course, on the other side of the ball, you know, um, you know, everybody's talked about Lamar and deservedly so, but they still lead the league in rushing by a yes. wide margin. And obviously Lamar was their leading rusher because, you know, they lost Dobbins early in the year. So they kind of, you know, p- pulled it all together with uh, Edwards, who – you know, always seems to have a good year for them. At the end of every year, it seems like the guy had 750 yards, averaging five yards a rush. You know, he's, he can break off some gains. Yeah, and then, you know, Hill has been a, an important player for them. Um, so, you know, their run game is still problematic. They get to the red zone a lot, and they mm-hmm. score touchdowns when they get to the red zone. And that's where the Lamar running factor really, really comes into play. Yep. Now, the Texans are generally more too high than single high. They run a lot of cover yep. for were six. Not a surprise because of Demico Ryan's history. Uh, Lamar has five of his twenty. I had to look at this three or four times. Like, is this true? 
Lamar has five of his 24 touchdown passes this season against two high and two of his five interceptions. Yeah, that uh, I don't uh, – uh, you know, what I do know is what the Texans' defense is, is they're, they're, they're more of an execution-based defense than a heavily schemed defense. Not high-percentage blitz, do not play a lot of man. Um, as you said, you'll see a lot of too high. Um, they will do some late coverage rotation, but they're not one of those, you know, heavily schemed defenses where you're not sure what you're going to see. You know, they're not, you know, they're not trying to, to, I don't want to say fool, that's not the right word, but, you know, um, they're not, they don't spend a lot of time with confusion in, in what they do. They, right. where they will match Stingley uh, on the best receiver uh, a good part of the time. So he'll play both sides. But even when they do that, um, it's not necessarily man, although they do have lock principles. Every team has a different name for, you know, when they play zone, but they lock the boundary X receiver with a corner. The Texans will do that with Stingley. He's clearly their best cover corner. Um, You know, I think they've gotten really good play from people who are probably not known players. The linebacker Cashman has shown up on tape all year. Um, Since they got Derek Barnett, he has been a factor as an edge pass rusher. Yes. Um, Anderson and Grenard are really good players. Anderson is not a bendy guy, but he's really strong, and his speed to power rush is a problem. Grenard's bendier than uh, Anderson, and he's shown up a lot this year. So, you know, and, and inside, they've got guys who've, who've been in the league for a lot of years and have always been solid players inside, Rankins, Collins. Yeah. Um, they're getting really good play from Davis. Um, so, they, you know, they have good players. They're just not a defense, which maybe in this matchup serves them well that they're probably an assignment-oriented defense, a do-your-job kind of defense, more than a defense that relies on a lot of schematics. And I think that's always important when you play Lamar. Yeah, I was going to say that that may work to their advantage as opposed to, hey, we're going to get all tricky, and the Ravens are getting all tricky, and someone's going to blow a gap at some point. Right, right. Boom. Um, I found this interesting, and I watched all 10 of these plays. Uh, Lamar's 10 explosive runs this season, only one came against too high. 12-yarder against the Jaguars in Week 15. Most of the time when he's taken off, is against cover three, which is, you know, you go back to, like, how Colin Kaepernick used to just demolish too high against the Packers in all those games. And um, But Lamar is has been more prone to get explosive runs out of too high, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah, my notes on Grenard, leads the team with 14 sacks. Fast guy off the edge with a great knack of using rips and violent hands to dis- disengage from blockers. And he is generally the pass rusher to the side of the left tackle. So he has won some high-profile matchups. Without uh, question. He's he's a very good player. And, yeah. he, you know, like I said, he's more flexible than Anderson. Anderson has great strength. But Grenard's right. a, 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 Grenard can flatten his rush path at the top of the pass rush arc. Anderson can't really do that. Anderson wins with power. And he times his hands really well, like when the, when the – blocker gets his hands on him he just he does one of those little quick you know mosquito swat things oh yeah you know that's his thing playing off anderson plays off contact very well that's his game that's a better way to put it than mosquito swat thing but i don't (laughs) so that's that's a fascinating matchup green bay packers and san francisco 49ers uh the niners are another team without a coverage type they've played 50 percent single high uh too high 50 percent of the time cover three cover four cover one then cover two in that order they will flip to a bit more single high on third down, but as is the case with the Ravens, they play what works for them, and they don't change a lot from a systemic point in a situational sense. Um, so we'll see what that 
means. Now, Green Bay's defense, under the much maligned Joe Barry, has engineered quite the turnaround over the last three weeks. From weeks 1 through 16, the Packers allowed an opponent completion rate of 66, 20 touchdowns to six interceptions, and an opponent pass rating of 96.6. In the last two weeks of the regular season, uh, they allowed a completion rate of 60.4%, fifth best in the league, <clears throat> one touchdown, one interception, and an opponent pass rating of 79.5, 11th best in the league. Now, this was against the Vikings with their 12th quarterback and the Bears, which right. you don't know. Uh, Dak Prescott threw for 403 yards and three touchdowns in the wild card round, but he also threw two interceptions and got out of there with a pass rating of 89.8. Yeah, that was garbage time stuff. Yeah. So, and uh, you made a couple, uh, I, I saw a couple of your notes on the, the Packers' defensive game plan focused on coverage, not pressure. They only rushed five or more on nine of Prescott's 70, uh, on Prescott's dropbacks. <clears throat> and they played a high percentage of two high coverage against Cowboys. So and it just, could have been a function of the game as well. So we don't know, you know. I would, again, when you play the 49ers, your starting point is the run game. You know, I, obviously Purdy is, is is a great player, and, and we've talked about him, but the starting point's the run game. Um, so you have to decide how you want to defend the run game. Obviously, they're really good running to the left. That's what they do uh, very well. Um, and while while the the higher percentage of McCaffrey runs come out of 21 personnel, so you would expect that the Packers would be in their base, which is a, a 5-2 basically. Um, McCaffrey also leads the NFL with a meaningful number of runs now a meaningful number of runs out of 11 personnel. And they get their wide receivers involved as blockers exceptionally well. And I think that's an important part of their run game. So is there anything you've seen from the Packers in the last three weeks where you think, oh, this is why it's sort of gotten better? No, I wouldn't. No, I mean, I can't answer that specifically. I will say when I watch the Packers, um, I think their front's pretty good. Um, they've got two good edge players in Smith and uh, Gary, and Van Ness has been getting more snaps, the rookie, and he's actually flashed. I think they have some really strong inside players. We know about Kenny Clark. Carl, Carl Brooks, 94, has played really well for them. Can um, I say I loved his college tape because it's not often that you see a 300-pound edge rusher, and that's where he played most of his snaps. That was fascinating to me. Yeah, and he's an inside player for them. And Devontae Wyatt has been playing more snaps now, and he's been playing better. So I think their front's pretty good. And Walker and Campbell, solid linebackers, big, athletic. Um, you know, don't forget their secondary this year has gone through a ton of injuries. They were, they're playing with a lot of guys that they didn't believe they would be playing with. So, you know, again, that takes time. You know, uh, they play a lot of zone. They're not a heavy man-to-man -man coverage team. You know, in playing zone – people might think that's easy, just, oh, you know, I got this area. It's not. Yeah. You have to understand receiver distribution, splits, routes that come from all that, when to pass a guy on, you know, when to carry him. I mean, there's a lot that's involved there. And when you're playing with young players, you know, that, that can be difficult. So they've struggled at times throughout the year. Clearly, they had a stretch where it seemed like they couldn't stop anybody in the past game playing zone. But, you know, obviously they're going to have to be pretty good this week or it's going to be a tough tough day at the office real quick um we've talked about purdy a lot just his kind of thumbnail his attributes especially rare for such a young quarterback and how well it's this defense i think there's two things that he does exceptionally well you know um i think number one is he he He's a true anticipation thrower meaning he will deliver the football to to space before receivers begin their breaks 
How many times this year have we talked about in, in our previews? Oh, last week, Purdy hit this, you know, in cut to IU 23 yards downfield and he threw it before Ayuk even made his cut. Correct. I think, you know, I think that's innate. I've had a lot of conversations with people. I think that's innate. I don't think you can point that out to a quarterback. You can say, hey, this is when you should throw it. But if you don't see it like that, you're not going to throw it because it's a scary throw to throw it to an area where the receiver is not. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, so I'm being honest. That's a hard thing to do. He's very good at that. And, and by the way, that pass offense demands that. That's the way they play pass offense. You know, I'm not sure a lot of people realize how many throws in that offense are between the numbers where there are more bodies, and those are difficult NFL throws. The other thing that we had no idea about watching his college tape, and I'm sure it's one reason he was Mr. Irrelevant, uh, besides the fact that he's obviously not physically imposing, doesn't have a power arm, you know, all the all the trait stuff. But the other the the, the other sort of mental part of his game, which you don't have to see in college because college, very few colleges do this, is he is so good at dealing with late coverage rotation. I mean, he sees it in a heartbeat and registers and processes it like that. And don't forget, you know, he has a second to process that. You know, I sit with a clicker. I can watch the play 10 times. He's got a second to process it, and he does an unbelievable job of processing late coverage rotation and then knowing immediately where to go with the football based on his route concept and, and, and combinations. And, you know, you don't see that much. You certainly didn't see that in the Big 12. No. Um, yeah, I, I'll just say I'm going to go back and watch a really interesting play like 10 times. Okay, what was the safety doing? What was the underneath guy doing? What was the, By then you're sacked 14 times. You've lost yeah, it. I mean, he's got to see that in less than a second. Crazy. So, so I mean, they're a difficult offense to play against. Um, you know, obviously they play a lot out of 21 personnel, probably 40 to 45% of their snaps, but they also have great success out of 11, obviously throwing and, and running, um, you know, and, and, and the way they use Debo and McCaffrey, you have to kind of figure out how you want to deal with that. You don't want to get caught up in too many adjustments and too much communication because, you know, one guy gets out of position and you're, you have a problem. And positioning is a problem because they have so many. It's McCaffrey, it's Samuel, it's now Ayuk, it's certainly Kittle, where these guys can all line up at four or five different places, Correct. formation, and they can kick your ass from any of those places. And it's four or five guys. Right. And, and you know, the beauty of that and, 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 and the genius of it is they can line up in all those different spots, but but the concepts are all the same. It's just, They just get to it from so many different ways. Yep. Okay, here's a game we will be discussing a rematch. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Detroit Lions. In week six against the Lions, a 20-6 Detroit win, Baker Mayfield completed 19 of 37 passes for 206 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 56.8. Probably the worst game of the season for him, at least statistically for sure. My notes on this, Greg, I don't know what you think. He was frequently speeding up in the pocket, whether he was hurt or not. Didn't throw with good base fundamentals, and he threw off-platform more than he needed to, which led to a lot of incompletions against tight coverage. He had a wide-open shot to Trey Palmer with two minutes left in the first half. He overthrew by a couple yards. Would have been an easy touchdown if he stayed within himself. That was a deep over from the slot against four, and Palmer beat safety Kirby, Kirby Joseph over the top. Mayfield did have defensive tackle Benito Jones pressuring him right when he threw the ball. But as we like to say, Greg, that's kind of a throw you need to make in the National Football League. He was pressured on 13 of his 41 dropbacks in that game. He completed two of 10 passes for 17 yards in a sack. 
For the season, Mayfield has been good against the blitz and good against pressure for the most part. It's not as if he's a complete disaster under pressure. And Dave Canales does some good things to keep him protected, as we've discussed before. So maybe that game was an oddity, but it presented most of the things about Mayfield over the years that we that tend to give you pause. Yeah, and I think they've increased their their shotgun uh snaps over the course of the season I think they realize that that's where he's most comfortable certainly he played that way in college you know under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma so that's where he's most comfortable uh, you're right he missed some throws in that game you know he, he, I don't think you can use that as a template for what's going to happen in this game um, you know I think their run game is far better now it's not great but I think it's a meaningful part of their offense keep in mind that and then people might not be aware of this Rashad White had the second most carries of any back in the NFL this year. I don't think people are aware of that. I so, did not know that myself. Yeah, so, I mean, and he only averaged 3.6, but, you know, the early part of the season, I don't think he was averaging two yards a carry. So their run game, it, it, it's part of what they do. There's a volume to it. it. It matters now in the context of their offense. And as I said, they've done a lot more with shotgun because that's, you know, you're playing to your quarterback's comfort level. You have to play to what makes your quarterback comfortable because if he's not comfortable, you're not likely to have a lot of offensive success. Um we know that, you know, what they do with their receivers. Godwin is an inside-outside guy. Evans is is their boundary X, but they will go uh, three by one or one by three because Otten can line up as the single receiver, and then Evans can be number two or number three to trip. So they do have some, some you know, uh, distribution and location versati- versatility. Um, so, you know, it's it's an offense that's grown throughout the course of the season. Um you know, and, and you're right about Baker, though. The thing about Baker is he's at his core, he's a rhythmic thrower. And the longer he has to stay in the pocket, the less comfortable he is. And he starts to get a little a little frenetic. So, you know, he's not really a runner. I mean, is he? he's not immobile. Like, can he get a first down here and there? Yeah, but he's not a true second reaction playmaker. He's not that guy. You so, need to keep, yeah, you need to keep out of pressure because that's when things start to, you know, the gears just start to fall off the machine. Yeah, he starts to play fast mentally yep. and physically. Yep. Um, and that's when he starts making some some poor ball placement throws, the occasional interception. Um, hasn't thrown many this year, but, you know, every once in a while he'll force one when he yep. starts to play a little faster. Um, but I think overall Dave Canales has done an outstanding job with him. That offense does have a pretty good feel to it right now. Yeah, and Baker's played well more often than not. This isn't like a Nathan Peterman disaster. Or no, no, he's, he's played once well. Once in a while, once in I mean, a while. Numbers are numbers. You know, to me, they don't mean a lot. Right. But the reality is he's thrown 28 touchdowns and only 10 picks. And I think a lot of people have probably thought of him over the years as kind of an interception magnet. And he's, you know, and he hasn't been that. No. Um Todd Bowles said this week that against the Eagles, he was convinced that running six-man fronts was the thing to do. God, they ran a ton of it. Yeah, they did. I thought the whole game was goal line. And then Bowles mentioned that against the Eagles, he wanted Dave Canales to get the passing game in attack mode. And just an overarching, before we get into the Lions, that's where the, the Bucks are as an organization right now. They're just, they're confident in design and execution. I'm not saying this is an automatic win. It really isn't. But that's where they are right now. They're not the team they were in week six. No, but the, Lions, but the Lions are pretty good. Who boy. Well, let's get into that. Uh, <laughs> Goff with 12 personnel versus what the Bucks can do against it. Did you see any – I'm sure you've – you know, because we discussed last week how awesome Goff has been with heavy personnel, especially with uh, Dan Skipper as a sixth OL. Um, did the Bucks when when they went into heavy personnel, did the Buccaneers do anything specific to sort of array them their defenses against it? Well, you know – 
the the Lions are going to line up in 12, um, and they're going to run play action with Goff under center from 12 yep. personnel, and they're going to do that on first down. And it'll be interesting to see what the Bucks do from a personnel standpoint. I don't believe they'll be in a 6-2 front in this game. No. I don't believe <laughs> no. they'll play with three defensive backs against, you know, this group, um, yeah. even even when there's 12 personnel. I don't that, – that was specific to the Eagles. Um, uh, so – um, you know, the question is, what will he do? Will he still stay base, you know, base being a 5-2 and playing with four defensive backs? Or will there be times just based on tendency and field location and things of that nature where he'll think, hey, yes, they're in 12, but they're going to throw the ball. I mean, you know, the, the last time they played, um, throwing on first down at a 12 was clearly a game plan. 67% of the throws at a 12 personnel came on first down in that week six game. And they're, they're well aware of this. So the question yeah. is, are there going to be some first down snaps where he might line up in, in, in nickel? You know, this, this is the chess match that, you know, the tendency part of being specific to your opponent now that we just don't know. Um, so, and, and you, we also know that play action, under center is a huge, huge part of what the Lions do. Um, you know, Goff has thrown the most play-action passes of any quarterback in the league this year, and like 90% of them have come with him under center. Yeah, he has by far the most under center, uh, under center play-action attempts, by far. Yeah, by he's far. You know, so, second, I believe, but he's way up there. You know, and then, and then, you know, where are you looking to attack in your play-action pass game out of 12? You know, what areas of the field? That That's an important – important consideration for the Bucks defense. You know, they don't want to avoid certain areas if that's where they attack. I mean, they attack with, you know, the flats, the hooks, the inbreakers, screens. They didn't really take deep shots out of it. Um, but, you know, they will throw those inbreakers. That's that's a big deal. Goff's really good at those play, at those throws. So, you know, you have to you, you have to try to figure that out because that's what you're going to get from the Lions. Well, under center play action, we just we had a long discussion about this, like ten minutes. It was really cool. I felt like it was at a coaching clinic. Um, Goff, when pressured this season, passer rating of sixty two point one. When he's blitzed, passer rating ninety four point nine. So we need to delineate the difference between blitzing and pressure. Now, the under center play action thing, as we've discussed, obviously you're turning your back to the defense when you flip around. Now you're going to see a totally different coverage picture more often than you ever would in any other era of the NFL because coverage switches are so much more a thing. Um, in week six, my friend, just on my study, Bowles threw a lot of disguise and late movement at Goff. Yep. Too high a ton. He Buc- handled it. Yeah, he did. The Buccaneers sent six or more pass rushes against Goff three times. He completed all three attempts for 45 yards, screens in which his receivers were able to thrive after the catch. But Goff did not seem to be affected at all by Bowles' covered switches. Which is no. pretty impressive. Yeah, um, you know, and one of the things I think that that the film showed is, um, I think that when you talk about the Bucks D, I think their coverage just appeared to be somewhat more dependent on formation rather than down or or, or, or you know situation. Um, you know, which a lot of teams do. I mean, you know, the, you, you know, you go three by one on as an offensive formation a team will show a certain, you know, tendency coverage. You go two by two, they might show a different tendency coverage. So I think that can be pretty common. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you, and don't forget Gibbs did not play in that game. So now he's, he's obviously going to play this week. <laughs> Hello. He's kind of dynamic. Uh, so speaking of voids on the season, golf has completed 30 or 45 passes against six or more rushes for uh 
passer rating of 106.7. Against the Bucks in Week 6, Goff was presented with five or more rushers, whether in base fronts or blitzes, and he completed 16 of 16 passes on those occasions. There are more screens and some instances in which Goff would just hit the voids between the rushers and the linebackers because when the linebackers would drop, there was always some sort of crosser or some sort of just you know quick release thing right in that void. So you talked about voids. In week six, from what I saw, that's where a lot of the voids were. The Lions were in 12 personnel on eight of those plays, and Goff had 18 dropbacks of 12. The Bucks matched in base a lot. They played man a lot as well. So it's that's that's kind of the the cat and mouse right there. Yeah, the big the big question always when you play the Bucks is how how many times will they blitz? Mm-hmm. When will they blitz? What kind of blitzes? How many people will they send? I mean, it's all for them. It's really about pressure. Um, and so we'll see, you know, I mean, you know, the Lions will play with, with six offensive linemen as well. I mean, if they really feel that it's a potential problem, they'll play, put Skipper in the game and they'll play meaningful snaps with him and they'll have six offensive linemen to protect. So, you know, this is a real interesting chess match side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, and one player I want to mention, obviously, you know, about Vita Vea, uh, Tran, Shoyunk is good. Uh, Yaya Diaby, uh, I believe he's a rookie, a good player. He's a rookie from Louisville, third round pick. I loved his tape coming out of Louisville. But one player I want to mention, I know you saw him because he, what he did at the Eagles, Kalijah Kansi. Uh, and yeah. I, I love undersized defensive tackles anyway, so he was all over my radar. But that dude gave the Eagles offensive line all kinds of hell. Yeah, he's, he's a smaller defensive tackle, phenomenal quickness, almost plays D-tackle like a running back with the way he moves. I'm um, going to say, it, it's funny you brought that up. 47 seconds left in the third quarter. Kansi did a jump cut like a running back would to get past left guard Landon Dickerson to tackle running back DeAndre Swift for no gain. He was doing jump cuts, Greg. He did one, and then he did another. And he's also stronger. You know, that's what I noticed watching his college tape because immediately everybody said he's 280 pounds, he can't play, you know, that, which, you know, people say things like that. Um, And and I watched his tape, and I thought to myself, you know, he's holding up – and this is college tape I'm talking about. He's holding up fine against doubles. He's not getting moved. He's stalemating. He's winning at times. You know, now, again, it's college, but that's all I had at the time. And – you saw him on the play that ended up being a safety uh, where he just drove Landon Dickerson right back into the pocket with power. So he's not just a quickness guy, even though his quickness is off the charts. From John Randall to Aaron Donald, Greg, low man wins. Well, Cansey will play in just about every gap, and his explosiveness to and through the pocket becomes more and more noticeable the more you watch him. So, you know, that that Bucks D-line, maybe they don't have to blitz, but the Lions O-line is serious. So there, there's another – this, I mean, I well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one because yeah, – That should I, be I a good one. If you haven't watched the Buccaneers, maybe you're thinking, oh, the Lions will just crush them. I don't know about that. Lions are great right now. They're 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 cooking, but the Bucks are they're in a confident place, which sometimes that'll get you a long way. Final game: Kansas City Chiefs at Buffalo Bills. Uh, as we're doing this now, Greg, on Wednesday morning, the Bills have these players listed as questionable. Yeah, I know too many. Quarterbacks: Christian Benford, Rasul Douglas, and Teron Johnson. Linebackers: Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson. Safety: Taylor Rapp and receiver Gabe Davis. That's a lot of talent and flux, especially on defense. Oh, and by the way, there might be another lake effect snow event this weekend. There is currently a travel ban in the Orchard Park area, so quite a setting for Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game, not counting Super Bowls. Um, so, run game is important, but let's talk about the Chiefs' defense again. 
against the Dolphins. Cornerback Legereus need a lot of 17-yard catch from Tua to Jalen Waddle with 17 seconds left in the first half on a vertical switch release. After that, Sneed was targeted five times in the second half. He didn't allow a single catch. A couple of those were two and misfires, but Sneed had incompletions thrown to A-Chain, Craycraft, Waddle, Cedric Wilson, and Tyree Kill. He wasn't on one. He is a traveler. He was not on one side of the field. It wasn't just outside. It wasn't just slot. I'm bringing Sneed and the Chiefs secondary overall up as a primary construct of this game because when you and I have discussed the Bills offense before – one thing that comes up, and you say this with a lot of definition, they don't really have anyone who can consistently test your coverage at the intermediate and deep levels. We tend to think of Stefan Diggs as, oh, he's that explosive guy. Well, he really isn't. He's so, really not. Yeah. So that that's you know just bringing the coverage into it versus what the Bills have on offense, even if Gabe Davis is healthy. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs are they're a fun offense, a fun defense to watch. I mean, you know, uh they do a lot of different things. Uh, they play two man. They play cover two. They play cover one. Um, they have a lot of blitz coverages that look like, you know, in other words, when they blitz and it, and it looks like cover four, but the rules are totally different. Right. So, you know, they have a lot of specific blitz blitz coverages. Um, so Spags does a really, really good job with all that. And they've got really good players. So yep. they're a really, I mean, they're one of the best defenses in the league, clearly. I have said before, I don't think they'd be in the playoffs without Spags. He's, he's, yeah. been, he's been the, the, the – and, 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 you know, the Bills' offense, um, you know, I, I don't think – you know, and again, when you have a new coordinator take over in the middle of the season, I don't think, you know, from a tactical perspective, it's it's a difficult offense. Um, I think, uh, you know, every once in a while they'll, they'll do some interesting things, but I think it's more of a talent execution offense. I think it's based on the fact that Josh Allen can do some special things at times and, yeah. and make some special throws and make some special runs. But I don't necessarily think it's a difficult offense to, to play against tactically. No. Uh, in the Dolphins wildcard game, George Karlaftis was amazing. He had two sacks and four total pressures. One sack came against right tackle Austin Jackson, where he got him with the Von Miller long arm. And then he had a pressure at nose tackle against uh, center Liam Eichenberg, which Karlaftis just pushed Eichenberg into the pocket, got him running sideways, and just went bang. Yep. Uh, so, you know, they got a lot of – and they're another – you know, it's like, you know, Edwards and uh, – Trent McDuffie, a lot of guys, their linebackers are good. A lot of guys that you don't talk about, but when they get on the field, everything's in sync, which is an endorsement of Spags, of course. Now, there's a rematch, too, of Week 14. These teams play tough games. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Bills have won three consecutive years in Arrowhead, but, of course, then they lost playoff games, you know, and that's what people focus on because those games, you know, are more important. So, um you know, you mentioned the weather. I just hope they can play the game normally. That you know, that's that's all I care about. I, I, you know, I just I just want the players to be able to play. But but um, if it's like twenty degrees with no wind, you just don't want one of those freezer bowl things where it's you know. no, no. And and it was okay when even though the the Bills, you know, they had all that snow. By the time they got to the game, you know, the game was a game. The Bills oh, yeah. game. So yeah. you know, that's what you're hoping for. Um, but you know, well, the Bills have run the ball more and they've had success. When all said and done, it's it's this would have to be a Josh Allen game in my view. Um, you know, and the key thing is he didn't turn it over against the Steelers, um, and uh, and when he do, they don't do that, look, sometimes a punt's not a bad thing. You play the field position game, it's okay. Yep. You know, as long as you just 
you know, you keep grinding away. The great thing about Allen is he forces you to play differently on defense. We've seen the Chiefs, when they play Josh Allen, use a spy. So that takes someone out of coverage, and that takes someone out of pressure. So, you know, he, he forces you to play a little bit differently at times, depending on down and distance and field location. Right. Well, let's go back to that Week 14 game. 20-17 to 17 win for the Bills. <coughs> Carl Aftis, by the way, had a sack of six total pressures. In that game, Josh Allen completed 23 of 42 for 233 yards, one touchdown, one pick, and a pass rating of 68.8. Yeah, he wasn't great in that game. Through four passes of 20 or more air yards, completing one, a 25-yard pass to receiver Deontay Hardy with 15, 53 seconds left in the first half when the Bills were already up 14-7. to seven. And on those other three attempts, uh, LeJarius Sneed had his target on lock, whether it was uh, Stephon Diggs twice, Gabe Davis once. The most important play came with 2-10 left in the game, Allen threw a deep ball to Diggs against cover one from the Kansas City 22, and there was contact by both players, and no penalty was called. I, You know, you just let them do what they do. But Snead had Diggs manned up all the way downfield and boxed him out. This was another game in which Snead worked significant snaps at both right, left and right corner and in the right slot. So um, let's go back to the... Mahomes, 11-yard touchdown pass to Rasheed Rice. You know, this is one of those situations where your notes and my notes kind of meshed. Uh, the Saints and Dolphins, 11-10 left in the first quarter. I'll give you the floor, Greg, because there was sort of a uh, there was a precedent to that that was pretty Are you talking about the play from this week? Yeah, the Dolphins game. Oh, oh okay. Touchdown to Rasheed Rice. I'm sorry, I, I didn't make that clear. Yeah, yeah. I'm flipping games here. but uh, the So this was, I believe, Mahomes' third pass of the game. Mahomes' first pass of the game, I think, kind of set this up. And we'll put these, um, we'll put this play up when we do the video. Yeah, th- this was this was a similar concept to the eleven yarder that he threw to Kelsey earlier in the possession. This this right. ended the first possession, the touchdown. Um, right. uh, so basically, what they did is they worked kind of four strong. I mean, Rice as the fourth receiver ran the shallow crosser from the backside. Um, Long on the touchdown carried Kelsey, who was number three to trips too far inside, which opened the void for Rice. It was really an easy touchdown. It was pitch and catch because of what Long did carrying Kelsey. Um, so, but but one of the things that the, the uh, Chiefs did exceptionally well against the Dolphins, we'll see if it, they do it this week again. It's a different matchup. It's a different team. Um, is They had a ton of four strong pass concepts where four, because they got a lot of zone. And they're going to get a lot of zone from the Bills. And particularly if you play cover four, four strong is almost impossible to really defend well. Um, Now, the Bills will know this, um, and they'll see. You know, four receivers to one side of the field against zone is hard. You just don't have enough bodies. Well, on quarters, it's harder because it's what it sounds like. Everyone's responsible for a fourth of the field. And if you got four against two, I mean. Right. So you have to have have your – your sort of backside safety play a different way. You have to have your your backside underneath defender play differently. You know, you have to adjust to that. I really like the design of their – and it was a little different in that um, on the touchdown, Kelsey and Rice, they weren't running mesh, but they crossed over. At the same time, the outside – the two outside receivers in trips right – we're running clear out routes with a switch release. So it was like two crossers and the whole defense kind of went, eh, we don't know what to do. It was really, it was interesting. I liked it. I liked the design. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was the play you're talking about the touchdown. That's where the long yeah. carry Kelsey right. and, you know, he just voided an entire area and no one then, uh, you know, carried right, uh, carried rice. So he just ran to an open spot. 
Yeah, the Bills, we've discussed this, have also done more four strong since Joe Brady became their OC. Not as much as the Chiefs, but um, – and I believe the Niners use a lot of it. Do the Packers use a lot of it? I mean, I know you have specific – More and more teams are doing it because it's – you know, it, it, it's it's an antidote to, to quarters. And then more and more teams are playing quarters. So it's an antidote to – you know, the NFL cyclical from a tactical perspective, as you know, yep. you've written about all this. and you're, We've you know, written books about it. <laughs> right. So you know about all this. So it's cyclical. So now, uh, you know, teams – you know, for a couple of years we heard about everybody wanting to play like Vic Fangio, you know, start with that quarter structure and work off that. And now what's happened is – so offenses now after a year or two as smart coaches kind of look at this and say, okay – that pose some problems for us. So now how are we going to attack that? And one way to attack that is with four strong. Cut the field in half and uh, double the numbers advantage. Sounds pretty Yeah, that's what you it, – it, it's, it's numbers and leverage. That's what you're trying to do, you know, in the pass game when you're playing zone. Yep. Well, Greg, we always have a high leverage opportunity with you as our uh, as our pilot on these wonderful X's and O's talks. Looking very much forward to the divisional round, and we'll be back, gosh, next week for the conference championship reviews pretty amazing huh it's it, pretty god amazing. it's gone moving along you know yeah, it always races by in season and it stops and after two weeks you're like where did it all go right no no it's <laughs> true now, what the heck and then we got into draft stuff and we'll do all that but uh greg as always awesome stuff and uh, we'll talk more x's and o's next week thanks doug <laughs>